You've probably heard me talk about my dog, Jackson. He's my baby boy. And as he's gotten older, he's gotten really finicky about eating. He used to get so excited about food, he'd literally spin. Well, not anymore. In fact, I often have to spoon feed him to get him to eat. Well, no more. Not since we started feeding him fresh food made with whole ingredients, backed by veterinary science. It's Nom Nom. Now, I actually tried making food for him myself. I'd cook up big batches of chicken or beef with vegetables and rice or potatoes. But without knowing what I was doing, he wasn't getting the vitamins and minerals he needed and certainly not in the correct balance. That's all changed now with Nom Nom. Go to trynom.com, T-R-Y-N-O-M.com slash Nicole. They'll ask you some questions about your pup and tailor a specific amount of individually packaged Nom Nom meals and send them to you. By using my special URL, trynom.com slash Nicole, you'll get 50% off of your first order, plus free shipping, and it's a great way to help support this show too. Again, that's trynom.com slash Nicole. plus Nom Nom comes with a money-back guarantee. If your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. The following program contains graphic material, including offensive language. Viewer discretion is advised. She's got the news. She talks with newsmakers. She encourages us to laugh. And she cries with us. Speaking truth to power and questioning authority daily, it's the Nicole Sandler Show. All right. Welcome to a Friday. And what a strange, weird day it is. Uh, The news is dominated by a story that we've been talking about for a few days now. The murder of a young black man by police. Sounds familiar? This time it was in Memphis, Tennessee. And the thing that separates this one from others that have happened in the past, and we can rattle off the names, you know them by heart, is that this time the five police officers who beat Tyree Nichols to death were black and interestingly enough they were fired very quickly they weren't they weren't put on leave you know administrative leave while an investigation happens no they were fired and the police chief and other officials are coming out and unequivocally saying that that he was beaten to death by these five now former police officers We have not yet seen the videotape. It will allegedly be released tonight. Um, Why the delay? I can only imagine that it's because the images, the video is so horrific that we've been warned. Um, But you know what? This is horrible. This is an epidemic. And and this is something ugly that's happening in this country. It, It is that young or older black men Black Americans are being targeted by some in law enforcement that five uh, members of the Memphis police force that they happen to be black is just another part of it shows that it's not necessarily a racist thing on behalf of the individual cops like Derek Chauvin in Minnesota, those who have committed murder before, but it's a it's a it's it's endemic in the organization in what the organization i guess in the police that that i don't know we haven't seen the video what i understand from what the police chief said is 
they don't even see anywhere on any of the evidence any any reason that Mr. Nichols should have even been pulled over. Apparently, he was cited for reckless driving. She said there's no evidence of that. They have not seen evidence of that. So I think the delay in releasing the tape is to prepare everyone. But And, and this story has dominated the news today. Now, today is also a day that spotlights man's inhumanity to man. We have seen, not only in this country, but sadly around the world, a, a, um, a rise in anti-Semitism. You know, as the conspiracy theorists are controlling so much of the narrative on the right, um, their lies and their misrepresentation and their their conspiracy theories and their uh, just their their just horrible way of being has infected um, is just spreading. And and I think you know. Look, we could point fingers all the time. That's not not what we're here for today. I, I, and I'm not excusing anything. I don't. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. Excu- I'm not excusing anything. But um, what 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 is apparent to me today is that people are just so messed up. We are horrible to one another, and history does repeat itself. And 78 years ago today, Auschwitz, the concentration camp, the death camp, was liberated by the Soviets. 78 years ago today, a man you're going to meet in just a couple of minutes, Leon Chagrin, was at Auschwitz and he was liberated. He suffered throughout the entire Holocaust um, and uh he, he uh, today he is 96 years old and he's telling his story and he tells his story because that it, he must tell his story the same reason we're telling Tyree Nichols story because people need to know it we you know there's so much denialism going on now there are people there are actual uh, holocaust deniers well the reason we tell the stories is so that Everybody knows what happened with the directive of never again. So uh, I'll explain more on the back end. But uh, last week, I found out that an old friend of mine from high school actually wrote a book called The Horse Adjutant. Uh, And it's the story of Leon Chagrin and how he survived the Holocaust. And um, Stephen Schuster is the, is my friend's name. He's he's an he's an artist who's better known, I guess, as Shusty S H O O S T Y. Um, but he wrote this book about ten years ago. He met Leon. Well, he'll, they'll tell the story. Met him at a Passover dinner at his in laws' house, where Leon and his wife, who was saved during the Holocaust, she and her two sisters were on Schindler's list. This is history. This is history and the stories you need to know. So I want to prepare you a little bit. We, we taped this interview with Leon on Monday. Leon, again, is 96 years old. He's got a thick accent and he's not used to talking on Zoom. So it, it might be a little difficult to understand him at times. The beautiful thing is that um, this show is not behind a paywall. 
You can watch it or listen to it again and again. You can rewind it. You want to hear what Leon has to say. All right. We're going to run a little long today. The the Leon part, I'm going to fit in the whole hour. So progressive voices, you'll hear the whole thing. But uh, if you want to stay for the after show, we'll have a little chat with Stephen Schuster afterwards about how all this came about. But for now, let's go to the tape and uh, let me introduce you to my friends. I am joined by um, a couple of very special people. First of all, Steve Schuster, known professionally as the artist Schusty. Uh, we go back, I hate to say how many years, we went to high school together in Hol- Hollywood, Florida, Hollywood Hills High School. And um, joining us is Leon Chagrin. And Steve, why don't you introduce Leon? Because obviously you know him a lot better than I do. Sure. Um, I would like to introduce Leon Chagrin. He is a Holocaust survivor of the Nazi Holocaust. He has also um, been liberated from Auschwitz. And one of the main reasons we're having this talk today is on Friday the 27th. That is the anniversary date for the liberation of Auschwitz. And that's the date Leon was liberated. He's also known as the horse adjutant. And I'll let you, I'll let him explain that as he uh, gives us a chance to uh, explain his life story. Great. Now, now th- you know each other, Steve, you wrote the book that's titled The Horse Adjutant. That's a word, honestly, that I'd never even heard before. So why do I feel stupid? It's the first edition of the book. I can't know if you see the words. Anyhow, mm-hmm. it shows Leon holding a horse. Um, the, the, um, an adjutant is the assistant of a commander. Ah, Okay. And so the horse adjutant is the assistant of a commander who takes care of the horse. And being that Leon's Jewish and a prisoner and not treated like any of the other Germans, he obviously could not be the horse adjutant. But Leon has excessive hubris, which is one of the reasons why he was able to um, survive. And he'll explain. Okay. Uh, well, let's start. But how did how do you how did you guys meet? How do you know each other? Um, my mother in law used to live uh, in an apartment nearby. Leon has no children, and uh, he would be at the Passover dinner with his wife, and we would be there with my little kids. And he has a fascinating tattoo on his arm. Can you show us the tattoo, Leon? Leon. It's a it's a panther. Okay. And it's very, very rare for a Jewish person to have any kind of figurative tattoo, let alone any tattoo, especially from his generation. And what he did is he suffered from anti-Semitism for his whole life uh, in America. And he covered up his numbers, his camp numbers with that in order to get a job. Oh, I did it in the in New York when I came to the United States. And so, yes. so you did it to cover up the numbers that were tattooed on the arms yes. of all the prisoners in the camps. Yes, yes. my number was one six one seven four four. When we published that number in his book, we were able to discover Leon's first cousin, who he never met for seventy years. Wow. That was worldwide news only a few years back. The book was published, I think, in 2011. 
Okay, so we're yeah. we're talking today because it is the it's it's um, Holocaust Remembrance Day, I believe, is also the the na- the day that's been you know commemorative. Um, but this was the day that Auschwitz was freed. Now, Leon, you were there. This was January twenty seventh, nineteen forty five, and if I'm not mistaken, it was a Thursday. Okay, and prior to that, approximately 10 days prior to that, the Americans were carpet bombing the region, including where you were. Yeah, the 26th of December, a day after Christmas, I was working on Buna, on on the IG farm in the street. My commander was A.V. Schlosser, means Iron Commander, and the the bombing was so intensive that it's very hard to describe how many planes took part because this was one o'clock at noon, and they they we were hiding on calls. The the Germans had bunkers, especially you know underground. We couldn't hide as a prisoner. We hide on the coals. In a bunker, in the coals. Hold on just a sec, Leon. So what happened is there are three camps, three major camps in Auschwitz. There's Auschwitz 1. Auschwitz 1, correct. Birkenau number 2. This was the death camp. You couldn't stay there. They're both death camps, Auschwitz I and Auschwitz II. Yeah, but I say D, Birkenau, you couldn't be there. You, if you, you had two choices, or to be yes, or you were se- segregated and sent to work. To work. And so what I'm just trying to do is get the basics lined up. There are three major camps in Auschwitz. Auschwitz I. Auschwitz mm-hmm. two, Auschwitz one is very small. Auschwitz two, which is as large as a subdivision, like a modern subdivision for many homes. And then Auschwitz three, also known as Buna, which is the IB Farben factory. And that's where Leon was when this bombing was occurred. They were creating chemicals and those chemicals could have been extra explosions and extra things that could have happened to him. The Germans ran into their bunkers, and the rest of the people ran to the mountain of used coal that was nearby. And then Leon got hit with shrapnel from the planes above, and one of those planes included his own family member. Oh, wow. Well, Leon, how old were you at the time? 18. You were 18 then. And and when the, the Nazis came... When the war began, how old were you? And I, I finished. I didn't finish thirteen. No, you didn't finish thirteen. So you were no. you were a young boy of, of thirteen yes. when all this yes. happened. You know, you were living in Poland at, at when the Nazis came in. Yes, yeah, it was a a, a small town, Grybov, G-R-Y-B-O-W. It was the name I found out was before Greenberg. It had a German name. The town was occupied 120 years by the Austro-Hungarian, you know, occupation. 
the history of the town, I learned late. I didn't learn the beginning. I still don't know the, the exact history of the town. I, 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 I didn't have a chance to grow up. Well, before that, when you were a child, you grew up in a small town called Grebo in Poland, or Grebov is the Jewish term for it, and it's right below Krakow, about a mile, an hour and a half by train. That is the beginning of my life, started during the occupation when the Nazis walked in. Mm-hmm. My father had horse, horses. He couldn't go no place, so he sent me. My life story started when they executed 10 of the Jewish committee members. And they, I had to, uh, to go with a horse and a buggy, pick them up, and bring them to the cemetery. This is the beginning of my first time when I saw executed people. I was exactly 19, that time I was uh, 15 years old, exactly 15. In Leon's book, I spend a lot of time learning about the Jews and their life before the war. And they were there approximately 700 years. They have a long history. They got along very well with the Polish people normally. However, I have a chart showing that whenever there was a famine, there was also anti-Semitism. Hmm. And so um, uh, Leon's story, there's a rich culture that was built in their region and a phenomenal book that became reference is called Yiddish Civilization. And his home is approximately 12 kilometers, give or take, from Auschwitz itself. Wow. He was very close to Auschwitz. And most people that go and travel and want to see this place go to Auschwitz, and they miss a nearby ethnographic museum, which shows the Jews and how they lived when they lived in the region. And it also includes a hill nearby that you can walk up and see the other cultures, how they live. I highly recommend it, and we can post that in the show links. Okay. So, But Leon's story, Leon, how many brothers and sisters did you have? I had four little sisters and a brother, which was born in 1939. What what month was he born? Oh, oh, my brother? Brother, yeah. He was born in November. November. And the war started... It was under the German occupation. Correct. The war was started in September 1st, I, I think is that their correct date? September, they, they walked in September 4 uh, or 5, something like this. They entered, the Germans entered to our hometown. And you, re- you told me that the Tyrolean soldiers entered... Correct. It was almost like a party. Really? I did, I did not realize, and I didn't, I was not so educated. When they walked in to our hometown, they come with music and horses, wow. and they were Tyrolean, you know, from uh, the majority of them were from Austria. 
from Austria. They were not, they were not uh, elite uh, German. They were the Wehrmacht, the regular soldiers, which occupied the most the industrial parts. And you reported to me that one of those soldiers was a friend of your own father, and that your father and him were in this were soldiers because together. It, they were standing in, in the houses. You know, they were uh, they were um, put the weapons outside, and since they had horses, so they brought the horses to our home too. And I tried to go out. In the beginning, they were very not not not, not uh, how do you call. They tried to to behave normal, you know, when they were were in the big uh, when they walked in. The whole story started when they walked out to the east. In the new elite camera, the black uniforms, that time the whole fire started. They started to kill. They killed not only Jews, they killed Polish intelligence. And uh, I went up that time that they told to register. And I had an armband, you know, uh, with a star from 13 years. I didn't do it. I said, I'm not 13. And, the secretary from the from the Jewish committee said, "You better boys run away from here because every day there will be, you know, killings. You know, to, to, you know, they are the elite forces coming in from all the town. Mm-hmm. So that time when they told me to, I I escaped. I went away from my house." I went voluntarily to work in a German uh, company, which was building a bridge, which is about 25 miles away from Gribble. And I worked there until they found out that I was Jewish. But in the beginning, I was hiding my identity. I didn't look Jew- Jewish. I was a blonde, crooked boy. And really? I, went, I, went, I went by foot. When I found out that they're going to liquidate the Jews, my parents, on August 20, 1942, I came home to say goodbye. It was not a pleasant situation to tell goodbye. My father was telling me, you are already a boy, you learn your, your life a little, you will learn more. The only thing, remember, you will survive. Nobody will come home except to me. You're the only one who will survive. So I took it not so not so pleasant, you know. Why he had to say. He had a, a, a Catholic neighbor, a very good neighbor who helped us a lot. He said uh, to, to him, by Going with me up to the mountain, he says, Leon will come back. Don't worry, my sisters in America will pay you for everything what you had. This was when I said goodbye. This was, I was 15 years old, exactly. 
And your father was destroying the furniture, if I recall. When I came home, they told me the, the extermination of the Jews is starting by the town, in town, in our town, it was a small town. So I came home. I came home, I came home, and I looked what he is doing. My mother was crying, children outside crying. My sisters, they all were young. And my father was breaking, he says, I have to leave the house. I am not going to leave nothing. This is how I watched how he was breaking the chairs, the tables, everything. Because he didn't want to leave anything behind for the Nazis to enjoy. No. Is that it? The, you have to understand the hate. I cannot, it's very hard to describe the hate of people. Leon, you were in the ghetto Tarno. It's very crowded. And now you're in a horse stable with carriages. And you become um, a ghetto driver with about I, eight other drivers. I became a driver. And there I started to see the, the brutality of the Nazis. You know, it's, it was very, for me, how do you call it? Not surprise, only I, I started to look at that killer's elegant dress, you know, in Gestapo, you know, the Heimstadt Polizei, written on the end of, it is a boy, I was looking for the, how they were dressed, you know, and the, the horse was Machet, you know, the name, and the owner of the horse says, you know, I'm not going to drive nothing, you're going to drive any place they call. I said to him, you want to tell me I had to call always to go, he said, you have to call and the place that the police would give it to the place so, so you were driving around some of these Nazi officers, and they were taking you to some terrible places, and you saw, like a fly on the wall, what they were doing, and you were not allowed to talk about those things. And because you were outside of the ghetto, you were able to also gather some things to smuggle back in, like food. I not only think they were so, just imagine, as a boy, I drove with a horse, my horse was elegant, I sleep with the horse, you know, I, the, the, the cage was with dress, shiny, you know, and I only went down to pick them up when the police, the Jewish police called. Mm -hmm. And the horse... The horse, you mentioned the name of the horse, Maychek. Maychek? Maychek. And that's important because Maychek saves your life later on. Yeah. Wow. See, I, I was driving to them with the killers, and I couldn't realize until now how people at, uh, which were educated, from uh, elite Germans, you know, how they were behaving. For me, it was very surprising because they were talking to me, Junge, you know, they didn't call me by the name Leo, 
when you're younger, you're like this, I'm a young boy, when I spoke German, they were telling me everything where I had to go. They never tell me exactly where, they only tell me to write, to limbs. When I picked up two girls with uh, beautiful breasts, they picked them up in a, in a factory which they were making, you know, uh, leather goods. It was a factory where we were making leather goods. They picked them up, they brought them under my carriage, and they told me where to go. Left, right, but I, I'm familiar with the streets in town. When I was on the, the Stara Dombrowski, I said, I started to think already different. I said, oh, oh they're going here. There's nothing here, only cemetery. The police cemetery and the Jewish cemetery, which is on the same street, attached. And they took, took them down, they told them to come down. They executed in front of me. The two girls, I said, they executed in front of me. They told me, come down. So you see, I started, the horse had laces. I had to, you know, bind them around, you know, around the brakes. And I walked down very slowly. I thought they were going to shoot me. They told me to take off their boots. I took off the boots. I brought them under my seat. I went up on the you know, on the top of the carriage. And they said to me, turn around and go to the Krakowska, you know, the, Zedic, the main street in Tarbo. So I went there, and on Krakowska they had a right job. I didn't realize they, they told me to stop. And they walked down, and I said to him, Her Castor, I know the name, don't forget, you have to understand, I never forgot the name, Her Castora and Her Grunov. I said, Those are the two Nazi officers, Castora and Grunov. They are both Gestapo. I said, Her Castora, Vasily Machuk, with a, no, with a, with a, she, she, she. Three days. And, and then what happened to all those bodies? What was what? The bodies were then sent into what? Into a pit. There were two mass graves already digged out by machines. And I brought them over and I started to bring them over there. There, there was a group of people already there putting them down. It was a 10, ten feet deep. Graves. And they told me to go down. I should go down and allow and look at the pockets and what they have and to throw it into big, you know, baskets. You know, they baskets. People have all kinds of things, you know. Right. So I, I looked in the pockets, I had keys, all kinds of stuff I, about it. But he came up uh, the the commandant from the ghetto, Blythead, he saw me there. He asked me, where is my horse and carriage? I said, this is loose. It's between the, between the stones. It's eating grass. 
He says, get out, come out, get out from the bed. So I had to climb the ladder slowly. The, the guy, the guard who was watching me, had an argument with him, but I think that the argument was, he was an officer, the other one was not an officer. And when I come out from the grave, he told me to go to the ghetto, change, wash yourself, and I will be there, and I'm going to, to send you to another place. This is what he told me in German. So I want to just reiterate what you said to make it a little clear for everybody. After the ghetto was destroyed and the bodies were placed in a mass grave, you were sent into the mass grave to pick all the pockets of these people. And then the the commandant of the entire camp, who used to drive and befriended you a little bit, asked you to get out of there at at great uh, harm potentially to himself. I collected you and the horse and sent you to another camp. I never believed I would get out from that grave because this was a different, different team of killers. You know, over me in charge was the head of the of of the ghetto, Bleichen, Hermann Bleichen. He was in charge of the ghetto, Mm -hmm. so he took me out. He says. Get, get out to wash yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and I come, I will send you to another place. This is what he told. I want to um, fast forward. I know that after Tarno, you went to another camp and you had your horse, and the horse itself, instead of being a carriage, was going to be ridden by the next commander. So you had to break the horse and ride into a riding horse. Tell us about how you got um, allowed to, to stay alive when you arrived at Birkenau. Because that's the title of the book. Um, 1943. This was October or November. Well, it was cooler. The appell was, they put, uh, there was about, I don't know how many thousand. There was a, so I went, they took me up there to the appell. There was about 3,000 men and about 1,200 women. When the order was at night, you know, the, the head of the of the camp was Gzemek, Hauptsturmführer Gzemek, I will never forget. He made the announcement that the camp of Shemya is liquidated, and you all go to a hard level. You don't need nothing. So you see, we were standing, me and my friend Morris, and we had to leave the horse. We have to leave the horse. We were all packed night, like 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 Herrick Newt, the the auxiliary Ukrainian were beating everyone who walked into the to the to the railroad. This was commercial railroad. And from it took us how long? I think so three days until we reached Auschwitz. And and you're so you're in a cattle car, a train. And, and if I recall correctly, there was you had no clothes on because you were going to a house. We you were new. The only no transport. And and uh, and you were going to a hot place. 
this is what he said to us. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, that, and that ended up at Auschwitz after was, three days. We didn't say Auschwitz. We'll find out when we arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, and talk about that. We arrived night. We, we were standing in plush of Krakow, I think so, 24 hours. No food, no water, nothing. Packed like herring. It was commercial times, you know, commercial. In 12 night, they started to unload car by car. It was the lights from the reflectors were shining from the, it was the commercial station, the commercial. The, the train did not go into the camp. The commercial station was not finished, everything. When we walked out, they started the selection. The selection was car by car, and they were looking at me, you know, they asked me my profession. So I said to him, I am a horse adjutant, a ferry adjutant. So they were laughing. They were the SS who select us were not simple people. It was people with with science, the, the the title doctor is you know all kind all all kind decorated uh, SS. So when we came in front of him. The line was single line, litten night, 12 at night. So he was asking me what I, what is my beruf, German. And I spoke good German. And I was a blonde, no hair, cowboy. And I said to him, I'm a whole, I said that you So they, they're looking at me. They didn't understand this word, but I'm talking. Uh, now, Leon, um, when you arrived in front of these people, these doctors that are going to select life or death, yes. you're naked. And the way you explained it to me, they told you to stick out your tongue and turn around. They first wanted to see your body. No, first they asked me, the, what is the profession first? Okay. So I said, I felt that you They couldn't, they talked, there were three of them, I think, by the selection of another state. Mm-hmm. The, I said to him, uh, I clean the horse, I sleep with the horse, I dress the horse, in German I spoke, uh, and I bring the horse to Hauptschulfirexen. This was the place where we kept, you know. So he, they were talking to each other, and they didn't understand when I said the horse out of town. But if I explain them, okay, they say, right. Right. No, go to your right. So the other group was left. I didn't see nobody on the left. They went to the trucks, to the gas chamber. We kept 3,000 alive. It was only, I think so they left about 500 alive. I was included at that time. That time I found out what, what Auschwitz is. 
Leon, when you arrived in the gates of Auschwitz after three days on the cattle car, yeah. and then you're allowed to go right to live, nobody offered you a drink of water. And they also sent you to a place where they issued you your shoes and maybe cut your hair, whatever they did to let you into the camp and tattoo your arm. At what point can you describe the story about the fellow at Lager D that when you when you guys asked for water? Oh, so they got the the the, the couple, the yes. brother, you know, because we were very thirsty. You know, we had no water in, in three days without, you can imagine, the driving without nothing. So the guy, was, his name was Mieczysław Kempinski. He was in charge of the barracks. I was on block two that time, you know, not a D. And he, he says, you want water? So he took the guy on the, on the chimney, had a, 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 how do you call it, from a broom, you know, the stick, and he, he told him to lay down, and he broke his neck. He kicked him down. He says, who else wants water? When did you get water? The next morning? I didn't get water until I get to the lottery. Which is which is the next day or that day? This was no, the same day. I think. Gotcha. Okay. And so you stayed in Birkenau for a while. You did heavy labor, like lifting rocks, heavy, heavy labor with hardly any food. And you got very ill and, they, and you almost died multiple times. And you finally were allowed to go to Buna. Can you explain what Buna is? This is the whole problem. We came in November. And we went, I was in Birkenau until February. Mm -hmm. This was hell on the, on the earth, hell. Because commando, I didn't have a commando. They were uh, calling every day in the morning, you know, five o'clock, the ringing. And they, they sent you to work. I went to the pick stones. We had to carry stones and mine. By hand, so I, then, I could. I had to get out. I said, "This is not. I'm not going to go there to this." So I, I went to the commander vice Vice So goes to the Visula River, cleaning the, 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 the mud. You know, the, the, he was trying to dry the, the water, the, the, the muddy water. You know, to clean it. So this, this commander with the dogs, they were, we had to go out from Birkenau. It's about, I would say, two two, two miles out. out. We, we were putting a, a military, how do you call it, kitchen. And you get a little water soap, you know, once a day. That's all. So you walked two miles in walked, wooden walked. shoes. We walked, the, and they were, the dogs with the cars, so I couldn't go too long either. So I went to back to the barrack, and he, he told me, 
try try to get uh, any any job not to go out. So so I was going to work by the by the potatoes, you know, by the kitchen with the they peel the potatoes for the camp. Mm-hmm. So I, I was working by the peeling potatoes. I tried to get to to get away from uh, until the, uh, there will be a a transfer. He told was Victor. He said, "I don't know when, but you have to try to survive." Now the selection, he said, because there's. I went through a few selections in the Birkenau. We came in on trucks. Laguna is a large factory, and they were making rubber for the tires for for the cars. First thing, I didn't know there is a Jugendblock. There is until 18 of age, it's two barracks, 48 and 49. So I got, when I walked in, they, they give me right away the uh, to the Jugendliche, you know, the barrack is 49. And I came with a, a, a blockmaster, a German native, a very nice, good man. And he just told us how to behave. He says, clean, I would like to have. We are going to sleep only two, you know, two on the bed not eight, and we just get this, the soup and the coffee mm-hmm. in the, that time. And I got right away, they, 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 they put me to the, the commando 80, Asik Schlosser. They right away assigned me that I'm going to learn how to work with I. Since I am under the under the age, he says you're going to be on block forty nine. The Jugendliche block. It is a block sperre. This means nobody can go in to the barrack from different places. It was a closed block. The two block forty eight. So Leon, can can you describe the infirmary that you were in uh, while you were wait while after everybody left? After, what you saw, I couldn't go to the to the to the dead marsh because of the hole in my neck. Yes, I had fever, mm-hmm. and I walked on the infirmary. There was about two hundred people there, half of them dead. And there was the left a doctor, or is it a nurse, a male nurse, not a doctor, and. He was he was trying to tell us that he does not have any food. We don't have no food. So he says, go look around. So I was going to the kitchen. I found uh, a big kitchen. I found dry onions. I ate dry onions. There was no water, so I licked, licked snow. And I, I was... So the uh, situation, you know, m- mentally, mentally, this I uh, had to look around 
and to find something to eat. We couldn't find that. So when, you know, I went so far when the when the guards was going uh, changing the you know towers. I asked him to give us. We have no food, nothing. So he said to me in German, he doesn't have any food either. This was ours. Okay, and so you were there, and uh, you discovered something in the infirmary. You opened a door. We well, found a whole room full of arms and legs. Is that true? Oh, I found people without legs. Yeah. Oh. Okay. In the infirmary. Yeah. Well, sure. Yes. Frozen legs, no legs, no hands. I had to throw out dead people because mm-hmm. nobody walked. Only I it was few of us walking. Right. And so by the time, by the, so the sorry, the guy, the, the guy in charge says, throw, throw out behind the. There was a mountain of dead people behind the barracks. Mm-hmm. And by the time ten, uh, eight or ten days is up you're pretty much in like a psychotic state and you're outside and bullets are flying and and oh, yeah. um the, this the, when the front came close i i didn't i didn't re, i didn't realize what's going on even because nighttime the the russian offensive were shooting the kachusha you know the rockets over the over the industrial park uh, we were on the lower level. We couldn't realize what's going on. I was standing outside, you know, by the, by the wires. And that was at the end of the camp. And the bullets were flying. And, and I didn't realize that I can get killed. But when the Russian uh, patrol came close to the wires, they started to shout, in the Russian, Ijibarak, go into the barrack, you know. So I understood to go in, and I told the, the one who was still alive, guys, boys, I said, the Russians are here. The Russians are here. And the front was going on. Mm-hmm. They walked in about 11 so What When you were liberated, what was your weight? How heavy were you at the end of all that? How much but weight did you lose? I, I weighed good 80 pounds. 80 pounds. How heavy are you today? Uh-huh. What's your weight today? 180. Exactly. <laughs> That's the whole point. Okay. So, Leon, just because you survived doesn't mean you were in any condition at that point. You were in bad condition. And they had to nurse you back to health. And then they had to start scraping the lice out of your back and they had to do that multiple times until they got it all out and then you went home now nicole i don't know how far you want to go um, but when he went but when he went home was an amazing story I, and the I, rest I, of it's amazing I, too it's all amazing I, I couldn't walk home the same day it took me three days to go home. yes but it took you more time to to get strong enough to even think about going home I, on a, when I got free on the road, I, a priest, I remember, a Catholic priest brought me a bread. I carried this bread. It was a piece of wood until I eat. You know? 
when I get, I got some soup in the in the Russian uh, Red Cross, which were were standing, you know, supporting their troops. There was no food. Then I I got some soup. I got food when I went to Krakow three days later. Mm -hmm. And so you still had the injury on your neck. You were still trying to deal with that. You were trying to build your body back up. And eventually you get to come home and your family's gone and you stay with your neighbors. What? But when you looked out the window from your neighbor's house towards your house, what did you see? I, I came home and they warned me there is a lot of terrorists walking around. If they, if they, will, if they will find you, they will shoot you. So my neighbor, the one who was so good to me, said, Leo, don't stay here, just go to the big town. Because the big town, they are rich. I went to the next town. Mm -hmm. But before you did that, you looked at your home and you saw people living in your home. At first, you thought it was your own family. Yeah, they were, li I, they, they were living because they were working with the Germans, with the Nazis. And what did you do? Yeah. They, they saw me, they, they escaped. They escaped. You, you them, scared them I away. Them, I told them, get out of my house mm -hmm. because I know I called the Russians, they would kill me. Right. And then uh, to make the story move along a bit, there's a lot more detail, and the book is really detailed, is uh, Leon ends up joining the Free uh, Polish Army um, and tries, and, and he then gets an education as an engineer. But he's not allowed to work as an engineer because they start, anti-Semitism starts up again. So he escapes and that's another great story. He escapes and ends up in Israel. And that's where he meets his wife. And his wife, Betty, who has passed away, was a member of Schindler's List I with her that. two sisters. Wow. So the whole story can go on and on. Right. And the fact that we're looking at him today is a testament to one of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. I, I see that. Hey, Leon, what do you want to tell people? young people who, um, you know, are first hearing about the Holocaust or are not hearing enough. We live in it. We live in fraught times where there's there are forces trying to deny what happened. What would you want to make sure that young people today and 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 their children in the future? What do you want them to know? The first thing I want to tell them, get don't never let let you carry hate. There should not be any hate from any youngster or even grown-ups against each other. Because this brings up all the sicknesses for race, hate, for, for jealousy, for greed, everything. If you get, going to get rid of this hate, you're going to be a different person. Stick, you know, help each other. You should, you should, you should, you should help 
not only education, but if you can, it can help in uh, with materials, help each other. Because otherwise, you know, you're going to wind up with a very bad situation. It's, it's very hard to, to explain the situation, the environment, when you have when you're hungry, when you don't have food, and you hate. How 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 can you combine these things? No way. One thing your father said to you that to, to can you please repeat what he said about telling your story? His story, frankly. He just told me one thing: nobody will come home. You will come back. You will survive. And tell them what you saw. Tell the world your story. Yeah, tell you, yeah, what you saw. What I saw with my own eyes. Yeah. Tell them what you saw. Yeah. Leon has, has for the last, uh, I think it's 30 years, uh, been a member of the Holocaust Society for South Florida. He's now the president of the society. The society is uh, very, um, uh, pretty much ended because nobody can go to these meetings anymore. Um but his life is a testament to the strength of humankind and um, and a warning to all of us. The warning is never again. And it's so important that your story is passed down to future generations because they need to know what happened. So, Leon, thank you so much for sharing this. I just want to tell them, if they're going to be free, they have to let let people do anything what they wish. If you're not going to be free, you're going to build up hate, and hate brings you a disaster. And hate brings what? A disaster. A disaster. Yeah. This is why I say to the younger, I went to school so many times. Help each other. Don't hate each other. Go together. Don't don't look around on color. Look for one thing. Be free. And try to get best education you can. Because if you're not going to be free, you don't get nothing. Leon Chagrin, thank you. Thank you for sharing the story. I, I'm, I'm, I'm mortified for what you went through. I'm, but it, you telling your story is so important. Um, so thank you. And, and, and Steve, thank you for writing it. Um, the book is called The Horse Adjutant. Hold on, I want to hear you say it. The horse yeah. adjutant. Is that how no, you say the it? The horse adjutant. Adjutant. The horse adjutant. adjutant. Right. Yeah. And again, the horse and an adjutant is a commander's assistant. Okay. And then and, the and the reason for the title came in the story of how he was allowed to enter the gates of Auschwitz. The horse adjutant. It, it is so important to pass down these stories. This is um, this is what will ensure that nothing like this happens again. Leon, thank you. It was it was very nice to meet you, and I really appreciate you coming on with us. Okay, I wish I wish you all all the best. I wish you success 
Leon Chagrin is his name. Uh, his story uh, will stay with you. We recorded that on Monday. And I had to do a lot of editing. As you heard, there were times it was difficult to understand what he was saying. I did my best to try to piece it together so you could um, uh, get get followed the story. Again, the video, everything, nothing's behind a paywall. You can go back and listen again to anything you missed. It's important. Read the book, The Horse Adjutant. It's um, available through Amazon. That's where you can get the book. uh, again, Leon and Steve did an event today in Deerfield Beach. Um, Leon is 96 years old, and he's telling the story because he knows he must. And, you know, his father told him, tell them what you saw. Tell them what you saw. And that's what he's doing. Um, we can't forget. It is the International Holocaust Day of Remembrance. All right, we're going to lose progressive voices, but we're going to keep going for a few more minutes because once Leon and I finished, um, once once the three of us finished talking, I asked Steve to stay on with me for a few minutes to give a bit more background and 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 tell you well how we know each other. So um, uh, here's here's the rest of the story. Uh, here we go. I'm joined by an old friend. And when I say old, I mean old. Steve Schuster and I go back to high school. We went to Hollywood Hills High School together. Uh, you were a year ahead of me, I believe. You graduated in 76. I graduated in 77, right? Cause, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah because you were in, um, one of my True. closest friends was Jamie Kramish. You were in her brother's class and he was a, a year ahead of us. So, yes, but Mm -hmm. we used to hang out and just so we can see you now, um, just so people can see what you looked like back then. (laughs) 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 This is a photograph from my sweet 16 party. That's you. That's Joy Powell next to you. But you had a lot of hair back then, Steve. A ton of hair and it's all curly. (laughs) And uh, here's another one. There you are next to Eileen Miner and Robin Prever. And just so that you're not the only one being embarrassed here, um, I got up and played with the band. Uh, I can tell you what song I played. It was Cowgirl in the Sand, Neil Young. Um, And the the band was Jimmy Fiano, and he was like the hottest, uh, you know, local guitar player down here. Do you know he still, Jimmy Fiano still plays um, music here in South Florida? Yes, I knew that. I only know that because my sister is like a local music person. Um, but yeah, he's still going strong and many people still live here. Have you been down here the whole time? Oh, yeah, for sure. Over 40, maybe 50 since, I don't know, a long, long time. Yeah. 50 years. Well, yeah. I got one more funny story to tell you before we move on to the other stuff. So years ago, I'm living in Los Angeles because I didn't stay here all those years. I left. I went back to New York. Then I moved out to L.A., I came back here. I, I went to Taos for a minute. I went up to the Boston area for a while, but I moved back here like 15 years ago. And uh, here we are. And I'm leaving. We're leave, We're moving to uh, Arizona. I have to get out of the fascist uh, governor's orbit. But 
many years ago when I lived in Los Angeles, I'm going through my photo albums with a dear, dear friend of mine. And she's looking through my picture. She says, that looks like Steve Schuster. And I said, it is. And she said, he's the first boy I kissed. Who was that? Her name was and is Andrea Weiss from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Do you remember yeah. Andrea? Really well. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? When I moved out to L.A., Andrea was one of my best friends. We were inseparable. We did a lot of that's damage great. together. That's really funny. Isn't that wild? Yes, that's great. I never, I never, you didn't tell me that story either. I, I, I thought I did years ago. We may have to call Andrea together because she would freak out. All right, now we can talk about what we're, we're going to talk about. So years later... Turns out we live in the same neighborhood, even though we live in the same neighborhood. We still haven't seen each other in person, but you yeah, know, that's just, moved. <laughs> you moved. I did. I moved. Ah, so you're not here yeah. anymore. No, I moved. I'm in Parkland now. Gotcha. Your brother moved too. And he was my neighbor right, right behind the house. Oh, we had four houses there. And they're all, you're all gone. huh? They're, they're all, we all moved. Well, yeah. I don't blame you. I'm, I'm not a fan of this neighborhood. Anyway. Oh. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm follow, we follow each other on Facebook. We've been, we've communicated sort of, you're an artist. This is what you do. This is your main profession is you're an artist. Your professional name is Shusty, S-H-O-O-S-T-Y. Correct. We need to change that little hat caption underneath of me. Okay. Okay. Oh, to just make it Shusty? Yeah. Just make it Shusty because it's, it's a brand. It's recognizable. Gotcha. Well, if you type that into Google, you'll get a zillion images to look at. Oh, really? So, so that if people just light up, if people just Google Shusty S H O O S T Y, it'll it'll come up. Um, And your art's magnificent. You know, I I became an artist. (laughs) I say in air quotes during the pandemic. I never painted. You know, when I was twelve, I think I I took one class and painted a little bit, and it's been literally. 50 years um, before I picked up a paintbrush again. And it's so therapeutic. It's so calming. You know, I'm, I am, I'm one of those people. I do five things at once and don't do any of them well, because I, I interrupt myself midway. It's my, it's my ADD. It's my adult ADD, Uh but the, the art, the painting and the, I'm playing with um, mosaics and just, just playing like things that, I should have done over the years that I all of a sudden now it's just taking over my life, which I love because I need a I need a release. I need an escape from the politics that I'm usually talking about. So it's therapeutic now. So- I completely agree with you that it's totally therapeutic. Uh, it's almost like chanting, only it's silent. Mm-hmm. And um, and the motions are just very simplistic. And it's part of the process to get into the flow state. Like my plan is to get into the flow state as soon as I can in the morning and stay there all day. And that's what I do. I paint I, and I write and I, and I draw and I do that every second of the day from when I wake up until when I go to bed. Wow. Now yeah. you have some shows going on. Um, there's one up in, is it on the, the Orlando area? What, what's I, I retired in 2019. I bought a van and started traveling and got some great uh, new landscape images of the West going. I learned a new style of painting I call vector painting. And when I got back here, 
I um, started to to figure out what I want to do next, and I started. Uh, I have multiple themes. I don't like to stay in any one style, and um, uh, people react to them in different ways. And one of them uh, is a theme about bugs and insects. <laughs> And it's silly. And I even told my editor, I said, editor, I can't be the guy who writes the bug book if I also wrote a Holocaust book. It doesn't make any sense and I can't do it, you know. And so I said, unless we can make something that makes the bugs have gravity. And he wrote the most ingenious two pages. And it makes me so, so happy that what, what he wrote. And basically, he just said that that uh, artistic bugs go all the way back to ancient Egypt that um, that these bugs are are of the highest caliber in the art form itself, and that uh, we stuck on the word on comedy. And um, when you think about comedy, uh, we turned this into whimsy, whimsy uh-huh. which is a subclass of comedy. And he says comedy is one of the most difficult things to write, and if comedy is, whimsy is the hardest of all them. And so it added gravity to the project and I felt comfortable. And so I started to, um, I started to embrace the idea. We made a book about it and the book has kind of taken off, not as a book, but as the subject matter, because I've had three shows in the last four weeks. One of them was on bugs and that one has led me to an entirely new, exciting uh, thing, which I'm kind of reluctant to tell everybody because it just happened yesterday. (laughs) I've been approved to be uh, to display all my whimsical bugs at the Daytona Museum of Art in and Science in Daytona Beach, and they're giving me an entire gallery of 2,500 square feet for um, multiple months. It for is multiple a bugs dream. now months for four months. It is a dream a project for any artist. For me, I always thought if I could get one painting in a museum, what a big thing that would be. To have an entire gallery for many months, to be able to have all the programming and lectures and workshops and children's things that I want, to have a party, uh, like a, a bug a bug ball or gala, <laughs> wherein people are going to hear the Beatles or insect-themed music and wear antennas and see a fashion show with the theme of bugs. It's just beyond belief. And meanwhile, that's one of three shows. There's two more shows. And the second show is The Art of Music. It's live drawing during music concerts. Oh, wow. That's my kind of thing. Okay. I sold five of the pieces already. That show operates up at the City uh, Orlando City Arts Center until February 19th. And I guarantee, I shouldn't guarantee, but I'm feeling like they're going to invite me back because it had a really, uh, people just resonate with that kind of stuff. And, uh, and right down here in South Florida, I have a third show running where I have the entire building. It's the Deerfield Beach Historic Society. And that's where I actually had my very first show 15 or 20 years ago. And, um, and so they gave me the space again uh, till February 25th. And it's the subject is landscape art. Ah, that which yeah. explains, I guess, the uh, the cover art yes, the on painting. on your website. This is not Correct. the whole thing, but that's uh, that's, the, a, that's a close up of one of the pieces. That is a close up. That's, that's yes. the way to put it. It yes. is. It is. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, awesome. And there's, a, 
There's a piece there, which we'll put in the show notes, uh, that's for auction right now until 20th, the 25th. It's a manatee flying in the sky over the uh, Hillsborough Beach drawbridge, which is not in that website. I'll show no. it to okay. you separately. And um, uh, it's got a 23-carat gold frame that was donated by Munn's Framework, which is a very big honor. Wow. And uh, I taught last Saturday on an advanced subject comparing my art to the famous artist Mondrian. And I made a very strong case why the year 2023 and what I do uh, supersedes anything he could have done back then, which, um, which is uh, maybe a bit of hubris, maybe a little funny, but maybe actually true. And um, if we go on this week on Friday, we're giving a lecture on the Nazi Holocaust with Leon Chagrin, which is the first book I ever wrote. And it taught me how to write that book because it wrote itself, frankly. Leon's got a great memory. And um, so since then, I've written 20 books. There is a catalog. 20 books? Catalog, Whoa. 20 okay. books. There is a catalog of my art, which is every single piece of art I've ever done, which includes the crayon drawings when I was seven years old. It's just... <laughs> Just made me cry the other night when I showed my mom is 97. Oh, my God. It's going to be 98 in February. And uh, a lot, a lot's going on. Well, that's great. And the reason that we're talking today is, well, we're actually taping this earlier in the week. But Friday, the day that this will air, uh, is Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it is because that's the, that was Liberation Day at Auschwitz. Um I had no idea that this was part of your wheelhouse, and uh, we were we were talking uh, on Facebook, and you you told me about this man, Leon, who was a a survivor of the Holocaust. He was liberated on Liberation Day, and that you had written a book about him. So, in this hour, we're going to listen to some clips of Leon. Uh, he joined us earlier today for an interview. It's just, he's, is he 96 now? How old is he? 96. He has macular degeneration, so he can't see well when you look straight ahead. He has a lot of nerve damage and certainly psychological damage. Mm. But he's got a wonderful attitude. He's got a great smile. He can still laugh and still enjoy life. And uh, he's just a nice person to, to be around. So the book that you wrote of his story is called The Horse Adjutant. It is such an adjutant. I'm a professional. You know, I I talk for a living. This is, here's the cover. This is a word that I didn't know. (laughs) You know, learn something new every day. Um, It's a military term. uh, It means the assistant of a military commander. And it actually means the assistant's of the commander who takes care of the horses. Okay. Yes. And and that yeah. is Leon's story. That is um, yes. what he was doing in Poland as a child. Now, his parents had, his father had horses or how did? His, he grew up around horses. His dad had a horses and a cart. When the Nazis came into power and started to murder people, his father was told to pick up the bodies, and the family knew that if that happened, he would be murdered. And so the son went out, um, I think he said he was uh, 12, yeah, uh, no, 15 by the time that happened. Mm -hmm. The son went out to do that with one of his friends, 
and uh, they never saw dead bodies before. And by the time this is over, there'd be so many that uh, 600,000 people died in one year in the region he was from in in an area called Belzac. It's the one concentration camp that's not known very well. And uh, it was only one person survived. It was a killing camp for one purpose only to come there and die. Wow. Now tell us again. So how did you meet Leon? Leon Chagrin uh, yes. This uh, born in 1926, a Holocaust survivor who um, is a co-founder of the Holocaust Survivors of South Florida, which you talk a little bit about during the interview. But um, so how how did you and he meet? Uh, he was the neighbor of my mother-in-law and we would come there for dinners once in a while to my neighbor, to my mother-in-law's home and maybe Passover. And he was there with his wife and he had this strange tattoo on his arm. Very, very, uh, very strange. A black panther, mm. you know, and, and he's got his 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 look is not the normal look of somebody that that I'm familiar with. It's very Germanic his look, and it's very very tough looking. And so uh, he makes a he makes a compelling character, and he only wanted my daughter, who was then twelve, to write his story. And I asked him for a summary of his story. And when I read the summary, I said, Leon, I can't even share the summary, let alone her write this. It's, it's just too much. And um, it goes on a little bit. Um, Another writer tried to help him and that turned into them meeting uh, for six months and and having a drink. (laughs) And he became my editor. Uh, He didn't, he only wrote a few pages, but he, he understood the story intimately and then my brother got involved in, in kind of like a um, like a lawyer, like a des- deposition. But that was it didn't work. It Too didn't dry. feel right. right. And then I when I finally picked up the baton to write the book, I was working every day. So I really didn't have the time. But I I figured out how to get the time at 10 o'clock at night. But I needed somebody to do the interviews. And a friend of mine, Malcolm, um, um um, gosh, like, <laughs> it'll come to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Malcolm Rosenberg, of course. There you go. Malcolm Rosenberg, uh, he's a male nurse. I said, Malcolm, you only work a few days a week. Go visit Leon, write down anything he says. And he did that. And so it was just stream of consciousness stuff. They sent that to me. And then I would look at that stuff uh, at 10 o'clock at night and, and organize it. I would organize that into into language that was understood. I did that for six months. I finally had the story in an outline form that I didn't need Malcolm's help anymore. What I needed was the Internet and all of Leon's friends. And I started interviewing everybody and um, met everybody, videoed everybody, listened a lot, wrote the story, visited Poland twice for like a month and uh, slept in a home that had the metal roof that he described, heard the pitter-patter of the rain when it rained. Um, I really felt the environment. I saw his home. It's still there. Um, And so the story is just, you know, my dad said, learn about this subject, and I took it upon myself to figure it out, and and I wrote the book. That's amazing. So the book is The Horse Adjutant. Uh, there you go. It, uh, you yeah. know, eventually I get it. Yeah. And uh, and it's available everywhere. We're going to hear 
um, yeah. bits and pieces of, of Leon Chagrin. Now, I'm cutting it up because, to be honest, he's an old man talking mm-hmm. over Zoom when he's not used to the technology. And there's a lot of noise and it's hard. he's got a very thick accent. So I don't want listeners to get discouraged. So we're going to play clips of the interview, him talking um, about his story. And the thing is, this is what we need the the remaining survivors of the Holocaust to do, to tell us the stories, to tell their stories so that our children and their children and their children will know what happened. Um, That's what we do. His his father, before he saw him for the last time, said, uh, make sure you learn where our bones are buried and tell the world what happened to us. And that was that's been one of the things that kept him alive to tell to make sure he could tell the world what happened to us. One um, uh, important forward thinking about this: after the book was completed, and after we wanted to get it into the hands of educators, the book uh, cases of book were sent to Parkland, to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School, to Miss Ivy Seamus, who taught the subject, and we gave her the flag never again. Wow. Well, that story is a whole nother interview for you because that class was attacked and two of the kids were killed. Oh my God. Right. Uh, so those just... books are still stuck in that building. And so we don't know what will happen to them. Probably they'll be destroyed, but um, it, this story has, doesn't end. Anti-Semitism remains a very viable thing today. And we really got to keep talking about it. Without a doubt. And 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 if you look at what's happening, not only in this country where anti-Semitism is on the rise, it, like I've never seen in my life, it's happening around the world, too, which makes it all the more important that we recognize on today, Holocaust Remembrance Day, what happened and that we share the story, uh, the stories, because there are millions of them, like more than six million of them. So. In that spirit, we share the story of Leon Chagrin, told by Steve Schuster, Schusty, um, in the horse adjutant. Ad, adjutant. Yeah. I, you know, I had to screw it up at some point. Um, yeah. uh, Leon Chagrin, everybody. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And with that, uh, we're done. Um, uh, ah, hold on. All right. So uh, that's it. It's a weekend now. Have a great one. Thank you for listening. Uh, This, I thought, was a really important show. And so feel free to share it. It's up on YouTube. It'll be posted at NicoleSandler.com slash 1-27-23. No paywall. And um, that's it. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. And I will see you Monday. Um, Good night.